You are listening to the Radiant Brilliant Show podcast. The Radiant Brilliant Show is a cultural community podcast highlighting others that strive to help make a better world. Thank you again, as always, for deciding to push play. First off, I would like to say Ramadan Mubarak for those of us celebrating this holy month. May Allah accept for me and you, I mean. My main topic of the conversation for this episode is going to be the coronavirus and its effects on citizens and uh, different people that reside in China. The title of this episode is The Diaspora is Calling. At this point, you'd have to have been living under a rock on another planet to not experience the effects of social distancing due to the coronavirus pandemic that is global. It is my goodness, it's quite something to see in my lifetime. Lots of preventative measures, states being out of food, toilet tissue, hand sanitizer, isopropyl alcohol, various meats and different foods that just will not stay in stock. Uh, masks are everywhere and nowhere simultaneously. Healthcare workers in the United States are still in need of proper PPE equipment and the N95 masks, which have some of the best uh, filtration against the virus and their droplets. However, cloth masks are everywhere. Even I've made some for family and friends. You can type in mask or cloth mask uh, on Google and lots of patterns will come up in the images. You can print one out there or you can trace it and uh, do your part to help others if you see fit. Right now, everyone is kind of looking out for everyone for the most part. Here in the United States, a sad side effect of the fear, however, of the virus has uh, birthed itself in the form of discrimination, uh, verbal discrimination, service refusal and in some cases violent discrimination against Asian Americans which I think is horrible. It reminds me of another major situation that occurred here in America several years ago and a lot of people were attacked physically and verbally for appearing to fit the description of a group of another people that you know a lot of people felt did great harm. So it's always a horrible situation when that occurs. It is an abhorrent side effect of the fear and the people feeling that they have lost control. Not too long ago, as I was reading different articles and scanning Facebook, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC News, Politico, all the different places I glean information from, I reached out to an Instagram friend that lives in China. I vicariously lived through different people's posts all over the world and they were pretty regular in posting their situation and i reached out to them just to see if we could speak maybe to get a bird's eye view what's going on there how are your lives there is it as serious as it sounds are they making too big a deal of it you know just get it from the horse's mouth then later on i began to hear of discrimination again but this time it was occurring in china itself and reportedly against their black immigrant citizens And then I needed a twofold discussion. I had questions about how the coronavirus or 
COVID-19 was being taken care of there, since that is where uh, they're saying it all kind of originated in that region. And also, was it true, the horrible things we were hearing about the discrimination occurring there? Thankfully, my guest tonight is Mr. William Wazi. He was the Instagram friend that I reached out to. This conversation that you're about to listen to uh, was not only enlightening and relatable, but it made apparent the irrefutable connectiveness of the Black diaspora and also the seriousness of the coronavirus situation all over the world. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy. Thank you so much, William, for giving me your time and speaking with me regarding the situation where you are. A lot of people will be very surprised at where you are and the situation that you found yourself in. So if you would introduce yourself and what you do, where you are and how the coronavirus or COVID has affected your life there. Thanks for having me on, Kimberly. Um, my name is William Mawazi. I'm an American of African and Chinese ancestry. The reason I'm here, I came here, um, I have family here. Uh, my mom's sister lives in the city and I also have another cousin from another aunt that lives here. And so um, I first originally came you know, to stay with them. I, I visit them before through another uncle that was in America who passed away now. He introduced me to my, my kinfolk here. So, you know, a few years after my first visit and introduction, I came back and I stayed with my cousin. Uh, I just started to live here for a few years, went back to the States for a few years and came back. So to catch up to where we are now, it's going on my second year being back after my first time live, actually living here. So I'm living here again. And um, you know, with all the conspiracy theories aside or what have you, you know, after what happened in Wuhan and the whole thing with China and uh, Europe and North America, a second wave of the coronavirus started to happen where I'm at now. I'm in the deep south of China in Guangzhou. And it's like, um, I guess I would say like a two hour train ride from Hong Kong. I guess maybe like uh, around the same distance from Macau, which is, I'm giving you a little history here. So like Hong Kong is, is occupied by the British. Macau was occupied by the Portuguese. So uh, the two different like Eurocentric cultures that influence that part, those two uh, uh, parts of China. And Macau is also considered the Vegas of China. Mm, <laughs> so okay. uh, you have like Wynn Hotel there and other like casinos back to Guangzhou. So there's an area which is known as Xiaobei. They have a nickname, like, you know, what we use in the States, like, you know, whether it's Philly, D.C., or Atlanta, you know, they call it a chocolate city. Mm -hmm. And so, interestingly enough, when I decided to go back to the States, 
there was a restoration project that it started as soon as I left. So when I came back, a lot of the shops and stuff that were thriving in that area, you know, half of them were gone. And most of, I mean, you still have a section, an area where they're still doing like trading, like exporting materials back to different African countries, whether it's Ghana, Nigeria, or Kenya. And um, so most of these business people come here and, you know, they get materials that are manufactured here cheaply and ship them back home. And also there was the reason I was in the area mostly because you had a lot of barbers there, hairstylists uh, do braids where, you know, that's when I started first going to the area. And um, so uh, most of those people either went back to their respective countries or went to other countries because they find it a little, it was a little bit more difficult in the Shabay area where they felt like they were being constantly um, searched, you know, checking visas and making sure, like, you know, no illicit activity were go- was going on, which um, some things were um, previously. So with that crackdown, um, there was also a shift in the neighborhood. I guess when they did the restoration project for the city in that part of the um, area for the buildings and, and roads and stuff, most of the African businessmen moved, I guess, if my geography is correct, a little bit north from there to the uh, South uh, Railway Station. The only reason I knew about that, because the stylist that was in the Shelby area had moved over there, and I was trying to find her. And mm-hmm. then I noticed that area was like... And why were you trying Shelby. to find her? How was your... What was the condition of your hair? Or the style of your oh, hair? I have locks, and okay. uh, so... A natural hairstyle over in China, I hear you. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, um, you know, eh, sometimes I'm lazy. Uh, So (laughs) I I was looking for um, a stylist to like wash and set, you know, my hair. That's when I found out that she had relocated to that area. There's still a huge thriving African immigrant community here. But it's just a little shifted from where it used to be to a, uh, another area now. That area is a little bit tougher for me to get to because with the Shabay exit, you get off right there and everything's there. And it's also a big trading building in that area, which is still locked, locked down. Um, they sell hair weaves and uh, beauty supplies and they do uh, fabrics and, uh, you know, printing for shirts and stuff. And some of the uh, trading or the import-export shops are closed still. I've been through there like a few days ago recently. And But I'm starting to see more people of Middle Eastern and African descent coming uh, out in the area again now. Before, like, it was 
only Asian people, Chinese uh, local people. And um, the two large uh, Middle Eastern or Muslim restaurants in that area are still closed down. And normally there's like that place is always hopping with, um, with you know, business and people drinking and eating. And those places are still shut down. I have another stylist that I do go to that's in that area. And I first met her uh, the first time I was living here. And she still is one of the few people that I know who are still here. Um, all the other people I lost contact with, either they went to other countries or back, ho back home. Um, I'm not really sure. She's from Kenya, so she's the one that kept me advised of what was going on with her and her community there. Because mm -hmm. I don't really live in that community. I live in another area. I really don't know how they were affected other than the same thing that you saw. That I saw the same with the news reports of people being displaced from their hotels or their place of residence. And I called her up. At first, I didn't get a hold of her, and I, got, I started to get worried. Then um, a friend of hers who's still in Kenya advised me that she was fine and what have you. So I, you know, I was just assuming that maybe she just didn't want to talk about it right now. Mm. So I, you know, I didn't press. And um, you know, I just occasionally say hi. Then um, I did a, like, uh, a phone interview with her myself that I posted online on my Instagram, you know, asking about the situation in that area and how it affected her. So, mm -hmm. like I said, she's Kenyan. So that community of friends for her is a bit different than like what's happening to the Nigerians. And she has said herself that, that she's not really in contact with too many Nigerians in, in that area, the neighborhood. So the only thing I know is what we see on like social media and from the news. But with her personal experience, um, she, they, they did go around and test everybody in the neighborhood who was of African or Middle Eastern descent. And, um, and when you say test, tested for what? Uh, the COVID-19. Okay. Uh, the coronavirus. And from her point of view, she didn't really think of it as a bad thing. In her mind, the experience is like, like all right, we test, you know, we make sure we don't have it. And, you know, we're more relaxed because we know that we don't have it and we're, you know, still self-quarantined. It wasn't as traumatic as when you hear it from, like, a, another source, you know? Like, mm -hmm. oh, they were forced tested. <laughs> yeah, because you know? we're hearing so all kind of like, things about, we're hearing all kind of things about how they're treating or mistreating people of African descent and actually blaming them for the virus, period. Whether it's the propagation or, or the start of it. And we saw where there were restaurants or fast food chains like McDonald's that were barred from actually serving um, African descent, Chinese African descent people, period. So that was a little bothersome. 
Well, yeah, that part is true because I go to a shop that's one stop away from Shao Bay, which is called Tao Jing Lu. So there's like little, you know, uh, shops there to eat and drink, what have you. And so with the Western restaurants like the McDonald's, I, I've never had a problem with the Western uh, places because usually it's the app they call, we, you know, we call it WeChat. So it has a scanning application where you can scan like certain um, barcodes and it's a health check that tracks where you go. So in case there is an outbreak, they're easy to find, you know, people who have been in that area. So to go into like the supermarket or Western restaurants or some of the Chinese restaurants, you scan that and then they do a temperature check either at your forehead or your wrist and um, with the little temperature guns and you know you wear your mask and you go in the only problem i was having problems with my app i was with somebody else who um could scan you in as a guest so if it wasn't for that you know if you don't know how to work the app because basically the problem was that you have to put your name in capital letters and there have to be no spaces. That was my issue. I guess I had upper and lower case and spaces. So I didn't know what was going on with my um, my app. I thought it was something wrong with the, the application, but it turned out it was me that was in error. Now, once that was straightened out, then you have another issue, like uh, if you have terrible service and you can't use, you can't scan, you're still stuck. So, I mean, it's not perfect, mm -hmm. but that's all they have. So that's that's how I'm able to navigate to go into certain neighborhoods, because that's another thing, too. Neighborhoods are restricted. They're gated off now, so they have an entry and exit point. And so, like, you can enter and exit out that same point or another part of the area. Some areas only have one entrance and exit. Some have two or three, depending how big the area is or um, how much, you know, uh, traffic goes through that. You mentioned a second wave that it started where apparently there was an, an initial outbreak and then a second wave started. They were having the same kind of discussions here because they're ready to open up so many businesses, restaurants, their beaches and everything opening up. People are worried about a, a second wave. How are you guys handling that? Do you have any advice? Um, there are people here protesting against wearing masks and being out of work. However, we still have cases rising. Do you have advice for us as far as that's concerned? Um, we have the most cases in the world, apparently, here in the U.S. The America's number one again. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I really don't, I can't comprehend what these people could be thinking as far as like, you know, maybe it's Darwinism at its best. You know, I hear some of these people saying like, oh, you know, this is nature working. Like, you know, the people who get sick, they'll go and the, those who get infected and still recover or build up immunity and stuff like that so it's just like well you know you don't want to put other people at risk because mm -hmm. um, that the whole situation with the nigerian who supposedly been who had it even though the whole country was locked down um during that period with wuhan 
And so, like, you know, some people thought it was a little suspicious that with the second wave that happened to be in the Bay or the Chocolate City area, because there's an underlying, like, racism here that I've experienced by individuals, not mm-hmm. like uh, by institutions, I would say. I mean, I have great experience here and met, like, really nice people. But, like, anywhere you go, you're going to have, like, in this case, uh, you know, racist or, you know, people who feel like they need to be better than somebody else to make themselves feel better because, you know, there's a little insecurity within this country about the West, that the West is superior to them and they're just trying to catch up. So they want to, like, maybe pick on uh, lesser developed countries, even though some of these countries, like in parts of Africa, are very developed, just as China is. They just don't know. So, I mean, there's still a lot of ignorance uh, amongst the people, you know, whether they're young people or, you know, in their 50s, about like outside the outside the greater scope of their media or their knowledge. And with the Great Firewall of China, it, it limits their access to, like, you know, catch up on things. But a lot of people here use VPN, especially the young people. So I don't know. I'm kind of confused by the whole ideology of uh, racist uh, ideology that's being passed on. And um, with that, going into like, you know, that African community, you know, it it felt a little political. I didn't like the way they handled the situation because right now they mandated that um, two areas, the Bayoun area, which uh, uh, Bay, mostly um, Africans are residing and the um, UHU area. Ueshu and Bayoun is like, Bay is like in, I, I guess I would say in the middle of that. And so now they're mandating that Chinese uh, citizens and African or foreign nationals all get tested who live in those areas because they've been finding new cases, apparently. And, um, and one, actually, and my aunt, she lives in the UHU area, so she's pretty close to that. Uh, most people are going out now, unless you're elderly, then mm-hmm. some maybe younger people or family members will help them out. But uh, most people are going out now. It's just like there's, you know, with that, though, is the underlying uh, mentality that, like, you know, especially... They, they can't tell. It's like in America, when they see an Asian person, they automatically assume they're Chinese. Mm-hmm. So in, uh, in China, they do the same thing with black people. And they can't tell whether I'm from uh, America, Europe, mm-hmm. Canada, Caribbean, or uh, African. So mm-hmm. that's the situation the local government, uh, I had a problem with when they said, like, you know, uh, black people in general, because, you know, they weren't checking passports to see where you're from. Also, 
the people who work and live in those same areas, a lot of Chinese work and live in those same areas too. And so it wasn't a mandate that everybody get checked like it is now. Mm-hmm. They should have did that the first time and that would have mm-hmm. wouldn't have caused all that political and social um, uh, hysteria. That Just like that across the board, let and, everybody get tested. That would have settled that. Right, because the problem is, it's like, um, no, I'm a quarter Asian, but, you know, I have cousins who look more Asian than me. So, and I'm American. So if I'm walking around and you just going by my, my racial identity, then how is that really secure and safe for anybody? Because you're going by somebody's uh, appearance when... And there could be nothing wrong with them. And your own countryman next to you is the one that could have the problem. Mm. So uh, I, I just had a big problem with how they ha- handled that. And That's um, not unfamiliar what you just said, but go ahead. That is not unfamiliar <laughs> here in the States. Very relatable. Yeah. There's some places that like, you know, they just ignore you like, oh, you know, we can't help you or whatever. And, and like, you know. And so you, you know, just leave. But how they put out another notice, you know, local government to report any uh, types of uh, racial profiling or like if somebody's not letting you into a restaurant or a store, mm. you can call this um, the local um, you know, police station to report you know, uh, the owner or the shop okay. at the same time online i see these videos where you know i think this was at the beginning of the uh second outbreak so these could be like later or earlier videos of like you know the police or security maybe they were like security and um like you know harassing uh the people in the um in the black neighborhoods so like you know saying they couldn't enter their homes or you know arresting them so yeah. I, I don't really know the timeline on those videos mm-hmm. but as far as I know now I don't really see or like you know or from my friend she hasn't reported anything other than the fact that it's hard for them to catch uh, like uh, taxis mm-hmm. or in some cases the denied entering buses and you know, with those things, the taxis, they used to do the temperature check. To me, when I enter, especially if I'm with a, another Chinese person, they don't check at all. And, well, um, would you look at there? <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> it's funny because, like most restaurants, when I go in, like I feel like they'll check me and my party of people. Then they'll start to feel self-conscious. They go around and try to like check the other people that were already there. So I don't know, it's this weird uh, sense of like, I don't know, like this um, togetherness, like, you know, like uh, even though, like I said, it started here, like, you know, it's like, oh, now it's them now. It's not Mm -hmm. us. So it's like, yeah, and it's just weird because it's like, if this is a health epidemic, you know, that's not, that's not very scientific. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
How was it before? How were you treated before? Because as someone who is an appreciator of, um, I love different Asian cultures, but one thing I was told even as a little girl is, well, you can't ever go to China because they don't like black people over there or they believe if you drink coffee, you'll turn black. And that used to make me very sad. So it's uh, quite a few of us who like different Asian cultures or food or clothing or like folk music, anything like that. And you feel torn because there's a part of you that really appreciates it or you think it's beautiful. But then you hear those things that they don't really like black people. How do you balance that being both? And how is your experience lent to that? Like any truth to that? Um, um, it's kind of like a half truth because I mean, like I said, you're going to have elements where like even in America, like, you know, I have, you know, racial incidents happen living in New York. Being here, you know, there were just like minor things like, you know, ignorant, like uh, high school kids, you know, just talking loud and ignorant and uh, misinformation or uh, it's a whole list of things like, you know, mm-hmm. they're taking pictures of the foreigner and stuff and <laughs> Even some of my white porn friends were like annoyed by that. Mm-hmm. But um, especially since we're so physically different, our hair, our skin. And so it's just like, you know, some people, I don't know where they're from, like if they're from the countryside or what have you, they feel like they have the liberty to like touch you. It hasn't happened. Actually, I guess it did happen once, but I'm not sure if this person thought he knew me or what have you like you know like you know touch my hair mm-hmm. and i was like i looked at, and I, i'm with my kids now so mm-hmm. i turned around and i'm like you know i didn't really recognize them so i'm like you know what is your malfunction <laughs> you know <laughs> so um and that was so, in the u.s over in china oh this happened here in guangzhou Okay, we we have those situations here as well. That's why this conversation is so is such such relatable thing, because having someone to want to touch your hair or to touch your skin, it's now being communicated that, you know what, I'm connected to my hair and my skin. That's it's almost like a minor assault. People have that curiosity. But I wonder what level of human they place you on to feel like it's okay to violate your space to satisfy their curiosity. So it's I feel you on that. Exactly. Because um, even when uh, I first came to visit, like in 2010, I was uh, I was doing an art uh, residency at uh, Sejuan University in Chengdu. And before we so, go, please um, tell me about your art. Please let us know. Oh, OK. <laughs> uh, when I was there, I got a, a place of residence and you have to register as a foreigner at the local police station. So I'm there, you know, everybody's been, the, the law enforcement were very professional and courteous. So like it was some other guy there. I don't know what he was there for, but you know, I had, I didn't have locks at the time. I had more like a mini afro. And so at the time I didn't understand any Chinese. So this guy like literally not touched, but he like kind of grabbed my hair and said something in Chinese, and I kind of looked at him, and he was like, you know, I don't know, he felt like he could do that. Mm-hmm. And and I, I look at the, uh, the the police woman who was, like, helping somebody else, waiting for her to help me with my registration, and she just looked down. She was so embarrassed. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I guess I could have like said, oh, let me follow a report against this person. But I was in mm-hmm. shock, too, that somebody would do that. I think now there's been, you know, it's been more spoken about that, you know, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. And it's more in the Chinese social media that like, you know, this is not appropriate behavior. I haven't heard too many incidences like that as I did before. Good, good. I have about five more minutes left and then I will have to wrap things up. (laughs) So if you could, please tell us about your art. Please tell us about a wonderful page I found on Instagram called Black Life China. And any advice you have for anyone here, Black Americans on life there in China, because they're trying to make us pick sides too. And um, health advice as far as us, because we're still really kind of going through what's going on with the coronavirus or COVID-19. I guess, you know, what I said is just like, you know, learn from what China has done and Germany has done a good job, you know, um, self-distancing and uh, wear your mask, have your little bottle of sanitizer or alcohol to like wipe down surfaces. Just, uh, just overall be cautious. Okay. And, and so other than that, you know, I think you'd be okay, you know, just stay away from the yahoos that don't want to wear that mask. All right, will do. <laughs> and so um, the, the art that I do, yes. uh, it was more, it's more uh, pop, popular art base where uh, I focus on contemporary people and, you know, I see like something special that they represent in our society. My concentration is mostly or mainly the African-American community, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I've done other people outside of that, you know, diaspora as well. What's your medium, like photography, painting, um, graphic design, and then where can people go look at your stuff? I, I do it all. I mean, uh, I've done some photography uh, shots, but primarily my work is done in digital form now because I don't really have the space to do paintings, digital drawings, and um, I have done like uh, paintings as well uh, based on my subject matter. And, you know, I'm working on a new body of work. When I first came here, the art residency I did in Chengdu, it was focusing me learning more about my Asian side and incorporating my characteristics and popular Asian uh, icons and pop culture, like what I did with um, popular icons in American culture, turning them into superheroes. I was Mm. engaging myself in the Chinese culture, transforming myself into the icons um in portrait form right on Um, i like that yeah i have some of that some of my work on my instagram facebook uh it's easy to uh you know find me william mawazi m-w-a-z-i and uh yeah (laughs) okay and then the other page that i saw black life china that's on instagram yes if a lot of people like most of my friends don't have friends in China, so we don't really know what's going on mm-hmm. or what the experience is like for people of the black diaspora. When I saw that um, via your page, that might be a portal that people can look through to find out how people are dealing over there. 
you want to uh, get a good uh, understanding what it's like to be black in these areas. Because I know there are a lot of travel blogs. Some people like, oh, you check out this blog. But, you know, I'm interested to seeing what, what we're doing in these countries and how we're being treated. So normally I do follow people of, um, of color who do uh, travel and blog about various places because we all know people uh, treat us a little differently than they may treat uh, a white American or a European in some of these countries. All right. Well, thank you so much again, Mr. William, for giving me the opportunity to speak with you, to listen and enhance my knowledge and to also make that melanin connection. There were so many things and so many phrases that you use that me and my friends use as well. So I felt really comfortable talking to your brother. Thank you for the insight on the situation in China itself with the coronavirus and how you guys are dealing. Also on on the back history. That was that was very interesting as well. So I'll be in touch with you again on Instagram. But thank you so much. And I'll be sharing this with my listeners. And hopefully this can drum up some positive conversations and bring us closer together as a community. Yeah, I do, too. Thank you, Kimberly. You are quite welcome. You have a good day. You, too.
testing, testing. Testing, testing. Testing, testing. 